Frederick, I really want to thank you for taking the time to do this in your beautiful home. And this is nice. Up on the 40, 41st floor? 41st, correct. You only have one floor above now? Correct, that's right. So you're just right below the penthouse? Well, you know, it's, it's a regular apartment. <laughs> Come on, man, you have to joke about it. Look at the view we have, man. We're looking over Tokyo direct. This is something, this is really nice. In Rapungi Hills, because this project was the largest post-war development they ever had in Japan. Oh, no, when they did, oh yes, yes, it was the largest. Now they're trying to, to rival it, but it's the largest they have since post-war. Well, I think the one in Azabu is going to be probably... That's going to be pretty big. Bigger than that, no? In May, the one that's across from the American Club, you mean Correct. across from the embassy? Correct. Uh, that, I don't know if it covers as much land, but there's, if it is, they'll brag about it. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it's still more, sure. so sure. you know, it stays in the family, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, tell me where you were born, tell me, um, you know, how long you you lived in the States or wherever you were born. Yeah. I know where you were born, but you just, come on, tell us, tell us, tell us. Give you background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, my parents are from Haiti. So okay. my parents are Haitian immigrants, okay. uh, both Haitian immigrants. Um, and just like many Haitian immigrants in the 60s, they sought a better life. Uh, okay. My mom was a really good standout student, so she got a scholarship and was able to study abroad, which she did, uh, came back home, married my dad, and then they moved uh, to New Jersey. So in New Jersey, uh, they had my sister. But how old were you when you when you moved to New Jersey? Oh, you were born in the States. Oh, well, I haven't gotten there, there yet. Um, but my parents, I'm just talking about my parents specifically. But you weren't born in Haiti then. Oh, no, I was born in Canada. I was born in Canada. But you're talking about your family. You're yeah, yeah, about your, so you're, you're about starting from your parents. You're starting I'm, with your I'm, parents. I'm, I'm going way back. <laughs> I'm giving yeah, you the proper context. I'm not context. Jump, wait just a minute. Okay, the proper context. You're Haitian, but not by birth. No, not born okay. in Haiti. You weren't uh, born in Haiti, so, okay. Um, mom, dad moved to uh, Jersey City. Mm -hmm. My sister was born in Jersey City in Bayonne. Right. Uh, they lived there for a few years. Uh, a few years before, or shortly before I was born, they moved to uh, Montreal. Okay. I was born in Montreal. Okay. Uh, the family did move back and forth a bit. Um, so I, I grew up mostly in Montreal, but also in Newark, New Jersey. Did uh, you learn to speak French too? Correct. Absolutely. Your well, parents made sure you spoke French? I mean, in Haiti, you got. You I mean, speak, Haitian, of you, course, you, you have to speak, you French. speak French. But if, but if you're not going, I don't know if you were going to Haiti. So you just said. Yeah, no, no. We speak. The house. No, I mean, was, if you were going, if you were going, did you go to Haiti a lot too? Did you, did you travel? No, so again? family didn't travel that much to Haiti. Um, my parents, okay. actually, my dad has never been back. So when he left, he never went back. He never went back. I think he left probably in, I want to say, 68, 69. And he's still living? Is he living now? Yeah, he's living. And your he's mom? In, in Newark, New Jersey. And mom and dad still together? Nope. So they split. So that's why we went back and forth, my sister and I. So okay. uh, my dad's in Newark. My mom's in Montreal. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Most of the family is in those both of those places. I've got okay. some family in Florida as well. Right. Um, you know, a lot of the Haitians that move to North America are primarily... Or at least historically, now we've spread out quite a bit. But historically, in um, in Florida, um, the New York area, mm -hmm. Boston, Montreal. So there's there was large communities there. Now, but now when, but when did the Haitians really start to leave Haiti? Well, like what years would you say? It Who? Generated so around? I mean, I mean, there's always a trickle. There's always that. been a trickle, but yeah. I, I, at least, um, and maybe this is just because of kind of my generation, right. uh, but definitely, at least the generation of my parents was mm -hmm. a heavy generation. Uh, in the 60s, uh, I'd say probably the 60s all the way through, even to the, to the, through today, but I, mean, mm -hmm. I think the 60s, the 70s, um, the 80s, definitely, mm -hmm. uh, large contingents that moved 
um, at the time, and it's primarily because at the time there was a there was there was a dictatorship, so mm -hmm. uh, people were actively seeking to move. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously when the dictatorship fell, I think it was in '87, uh, the countries had many kind of cycles, mm -hmm. uh, ups and downs in terms of economy. So um, economy, political stability, safety. So there's always been kind of a um, a decent number of people looking for for, for better shores, mm -hmm. uh, and the primary destination at was the always time the US. was always the U.S. or Canada. Now, with that said, right, right. you have a lot of Haitians in France, right? Right. You have a lot of Haitians uh, in South America, in parts okay. of South America, right. whether it be uh, Brazil, Colombia, or other places. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of my good family friends, our close family friends, studied in Venezuela way, way back. Mm -hmm. um, when at the time in Venezuela was a great place, so a lot of Haitians used to go there or to Mexico to, to study. Mm -hmm. um, so it it was it is absolutely a population that's moved around. So it's not uh, uh, it's not necessarily just the U.S. and Canada, but the majority tends to be outside of outside of your family. Did you have other Haitian friends, or would you be like pulled to more Haitians than you would, let's say? Canadian Canadian blacks from other countries, and, and or, or American blacks when you went to America. Uh, I'd say yeah, my environment was so it was actually interesting. Um, I'd say my environment outside of school mm -hmm. was very much Haitian, right? Um, but just what was that? Just with family, family and friends, and friends. Okay, basically. yeah. And this is in interesting because a lot of people will ask you, well, what do you consider yourself? I said. You know, to be honest, kind of Haitian first more so than anything else because the culture and environment in which I grew up with it was that, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, did it, you guys speak mostly in French at home? I mean, it was French and Creole. A patois? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Creole. Creole, uh, yeah. So my, I mean, you know, parents never spoke French to me. Or they not, never? Ne never, uh, I'm exaggerating. But very seldom. But seldom. It was mostly in Creole. Um, and they never, they never spoke English to me. My dad never spoke English to me at all. What? To this day. Oh, no, he speaks to me in Creole or he speaks to me in French at best, but I'd say 80% is Creole. And I'll answer in whatever I answer. But, but, but is the Creole the same Creole you get in Louisiana? If you go oh, no, 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 no. It's Creole. See, I know. It's, it's I know. It's completely different. I know. It has to be. So this is, It sounds more like French, but it's a slang of French. It's, it's a mix of, you know, African dialect, right. French... Uh, I'm, sure there, I'm sure there are other influences like Spanish and others that have kind of seeped in. Um, but you will find it in the Haitian form. It exists, it exists in other places that are similar, right? So in Martinique and Guadeloupe, okay, yeah. if they speak Creole, I'll understand about 80%. Like, there's right. a few things that, w that are different, but for the most part, you know. we can talk. Okay. Right? Um, so it, it's actually not too different than you know, somebody from Texas talking to somebody from Scotland, right? There's gotcha. certain things where you're going to be like, I'm right. not There's sure. There's a few things they can. Well, Scotland, you picked a hard one. That's a hard yeah. English to understand, yeah. You know, the accent's going to be different. Right. There's a few ter terms that are going to be different. That's what you're saying, right. Anyway, but for yeah, the most I part. I know what you're saying. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty much the same. So that's, that, that Creole is spoken in those areas. Okay. The Louisiana Creole is something it's else. Something completely different. Yeah, that's different. But that's based from France. It is. It is. Because they own Louisiana. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, you know it's interesting. You know, I, I'm no language expert, but okay, uh, yeah. it's, I guess it has to do some, a little bit of something with the evolution of the um, of the language and right. you know who was brought into that area. I I, I don't know. That's a great question okay. to ask. Um, yeah, but um, no, it is different. Okay. Um, 
but I do know for sure at home, that's where, that was it. That was it, Creole. Where we spoke mostly Creole. And still French, do. And, that's and it. still do. Oh, yeah. And still oh, do. Yeah. Okay, so you, so, so you grew up in Canada, basically, most of the time. Yeah, I'd say about a 60-40 split. Okay, so where'd you do your elementary school and then junior high, high school? How did that come about? Yeah, and, that's, and that gets to the second part. Okay. So um, I went to private school most of my life. What, Catholic? Yeah, Catholic private school. <laughs> and um, it was interesting because, and I don't know if this was, this was my design or not, but the schools my mom put me in were very multi multicultural, very diverse schools. Um, Especially at the time, so you know. Now, where, 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 where are you living now? When she did this? No, I'm talking about Canada. Okay, in Canada. Okay. At this point, I'm talking about Canada, um, and that really shaped me for the rest. Mm -hmm. um, because when I got into that environment, there was, in a way, no no majority. Everybody was a minority. So you had, you know, some Lebanese kids. You had some Chinese kids. You had some Vietnamese kids. You had some. Um, Kenyans, you had whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. And it was just a hodgepodge. Okay. So, in a way, at least for me, it really opened up my thinking around there's a lot of different people out there. Okay. There's a lot of different ways to, to operate and move. Mm -hmm. um, so, I always had this curiosity, and I think this is the reason why ultimately over time I, I traveled so much, um, is I always had this curiosity around people. And cultures, because you're sitting in class, and this one kid's talking about um, he just came from Lebanon, and he's talking about Lebanon, and the next kid's talking to you about Argentina, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the next kid's talking to you about you know Jamaica, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. you can relate to a little more because you're like, all right, mm -hmm. I, I can, but the other two you can't. And you're like, hold on, that exists. And this like, is elementary, elementary school. Okay. From day one, and if it was actually quite interesting because if you look at some of my my friends from an early age, um, for for those that are a little older, but if you remember the Benetton ads, right? Benetton, right, right. All they, the different colors. Yeah, they always had they always had somebody very black in there. They'd have a ginger. They'd have somebody. <laughs> they'd always try to do that, right? It was the colors. Have an Indian Benetton. person, right? And that's that's the that's that shaped quite a bit of my thinking over time. Okay. Around at the end of the day, you know, the world the world is there for you, right? Mm -hmm. Go out and get it. So. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, so then from there, so elementary was, you had that first set of just multicultural, and you realized that, hey, just because he's from here, he's not smarter, or this guy isn't, this, you know, because don't, if you're seeing only one thing, then you start thinking a certain way. And that progressed, and, and frankly, that carried through high school, university, grad school, professional life, because if I'm being honest, I think the one thing that I remember from that day is you can talk and you can work with anyone, right? You can manage in any environment. And how old, we'll were, you, how old were you when you started really thinking like that? When you, when that just hit you, you had that epiphany. You said, "So I don't." What age mm, were you thinking like this? So I don't know if I can say. Um, there, there's two parts to it. I think there's one that you just kind of do it because you don't know any better. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. You don't you know. Just, what is the difference? This, just, yeah. this is what you see. And to be honest, this the, the this was the the interesting part. At school, it was very diverse, and at home, it was Haitian. Okay. So, in a way, and not just 100% Haitian. I mean, we had right, other right. friends, but like majority. So, in a way, I I only knew those two worlds. Mm -hmm. 
so for me, it was very much like, all right, this, this is kind of what life looks like. Until I got much older and I went into university or grad school or whatnot. And, you know, then I started to realize, actually, this is not exactly everything. Because even when I was, um, during the summertime, I would spend a lot of the summers with my pops in, in New Jersey. Okay. So your parents had already split by then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My my how, parents how old were you when they split? How old were you when they split? I was about two years old. So oh, so you never knew them together? Oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh, I, I, I never remembered that. My sister was much older. But your dad still was a big part of your life, and he still is. He is. He is. So I used to spend most of the summers with dad, right? But during the school year, it was all mom. Mom was in charge. Mom was always in charge, period. Right. And she was in you knew charge she had the, the final word. She, no she was in charge of the summer as well. She was just a little she just, Yeah, she was doing that you know, she, remotely. Yeah, and back then they didn't have FaceTime, so she yes. didn't see what you did. Right, but she, but she heard out. what you did. Right, she heard what you did. She knew she when had, you came she back. She had eyes. She had eyes. That's right. So we'd go there and we'd spend time with Pops and a lot of my uncles and whatnot. But again, right, it was very much a Haitian environment and it was very much a closed environment mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Not closed purposely. I know what you mean, but basically, right. And not in but the it was sense. a family environment, okay. right? which was fantastic. Cause oh, you're the only boy from your mother? Oh, no, we got, we got kids. Um, but I thought you said there's three, you and your sister. Yeah, yeah. That's In terms of kids, there's only two. I thought you were talking about cousins. No, and, no, know. I'm talking about all the others. Yeah, yeah. yeah we got, we got a, I got a large family. Okay. That's a... That's a that's a big that's a big crew. A big crew, okay. Yeah, they used to, <laughs> some of my friends used to call us the the Wu Tang because Wu Tang because really there's always another member coming. Another out. coming out. They're like, oh, you you related to? They're like, yeah, we are. So, wow. So whose side was that coming from? Most your father's side or your mother's side? Or would you say it was equally both? Both. both. So my dad has um, seven brothers and sisters. Okay. Um, and probably on average, they all have at least two, at least three kids okay. on average. Uh, but then he has a number of half brothers and sisters. Okay. I won't even get into that. Right, right, okay. so that's, that's and a your mother? Problem. My mom has six brothers and sisters. Okay. Uh, but then she has four brothers and sisters. She was she was effectively adopted as well, right? Okay. So she has another four uh, as well. So that's that gives her about ten. My dad has way more than ten. Okay. So. It, it was always it was always the running joke, right? So we go to a wedding, a family event, or whatnot, and you meet somebody, and they're like, "Oh, this is your auntie," and you're like, "All right, well, uh, yeah, auntie." Yeah, they're like, no, auntie, no, 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 your auntie. auntie. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Didn't know. Yeah. Like, this is your cousin. Never knew, right? You're like, all right, well, cool. And that's that's just. The so way when you guys get together now, where do you go? Where do you usually get together? Do you do it in Canada or do you do it in New Jersey or? So, you know, unfortunately, we don't have big family gatherings. Okay. Um, we talked about doing that one time, but it just never happened. Uh, I hope we make it happen one day. But usually, it was always some big event, mm -hmm. um, and you know how life goes. Usually, it's uh, either um, a wedding or a funeral. Then you have some christenings that okay. generate right. smaller numbers, but some decent numbers, or the funerals, unfortunately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think we've done, at least my generation of cousins, uh, we've done most of the weddings. So now, unfortunately, the, the times we see each other are really, you know, when our parents and aunts and uncles mm -hmm. and that generation are passing, and that's yeah. when we see But each your other. parents are doing good? Knock on, well, this is not They're wedding, not good, but, but still knock on something because it's making a lot of noise. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wow. But yeah, so far, so good. Mom is... Doing fantastic. She's, right. you know, she's got so more let's, energy. So let's fast forward from 
from high school, from junior high, high school into your MBA. We don't have to get to that right now because yeah. I know you have an MBA. But um, did you go past that, past your MBA? No, nope, stop there. Okay, you stopped, stopped there. there. All right, so when you got in college, what were your ambitions? What did you want to do when you got into college? So, I, again, this goes back to the Haitian roots, and anybody who's Haitian will understand this. Your parents move to a new country because they want you to have the best opportunities. And, you know, at times when you grow up, you're like, damn, they're riding me hard. But when you look back, as you age, you're a little more mature, you, you kind of understand, the, the you, you understand method behind the madness. But with that comes a set of expectations. Uh, and if you're going to school, you know, your parents are going to expect you to, to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, uh, and maybe an accountant. Okay. Right? Those, those are pretty much the four. You might swap the account for something else. Mm -hmm. but, but it better be with money. It, do, you know, get a job. <laughs> right. and, you know, a paying job. Get a paying job. Yeah. Go work for the government. Get right. yourself a pension. There you go, yeah. Be set. You can retire, right? That, yeah. that, was, that was the path. Yeah. So I finished high school, and I remember having that discussion with uh, my parents, and I was like, hey, yeah, I don't know what I want to do. And they're like, my mom was more open, and she said, listen, you got to think about what, you, what you're going to enjoy and what you're really going to want to invest your time in. My dad was like, son, one, two, or three, pick one, right? Lawyer, doctor, engineer. My dad was straight. Um, so I went into engineering school. I was good with numbers. I liked, I liked science. I had a few friends that were going there. Probably all the wrong, the wrong reasons to pick that career. But at the time, I was 17, I was 18 or so. You know, I, I had to make a decision. And there was no going back home and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm getting taken a gap year. They're like, gap what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never heard that. Like, you like, say you want to be a slap? Uh, hold on, <laughs> help, me, help me understand what that is, right? Like, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no such thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we're like, what? So, so you're going you to move out? You're going to get a job? You're going to pay, pay rent? Because like, you're not living here. And they're having Chill. a gap year, yeah. Like, no. Gap. What? So, <laughs> well, how would they do that? Wait, do me a favor. Just as... Tell me in Patois, how would they, what would they oh. say? To, come on, come on. Pretend like, okay, I'm going to be you for a second. Let's just have some fun on this. I'm going to be you. Because I want to hear how your Patois sounds different from the one in, in Louisiana. Okay, so, so I come home, and I'm saying, Dad, look, I want to have a gap year. Oh, <laughs> J'aimerais dire pays ça pour It would go on for right. hours. So what did he say to me? What so basically, it'd be like, it would start off like, what? That's what? What is that? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And it'd be like, I've worked so hard in this country for you. And then it would just, that, that the monologue would start. Kim, that's right. Now he's going to come down about all this. And then the time you did this and all this over here, and I had to pay oh. that extra amount here. He, he'd pull out the book. He'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you owe me, son. At six months, you did this. At nine months, you did this. And then go all the way through yeah. whatever age you were yeah. at that point. That's time. called love, man. That's so, called love. Yeah, yeah no, my, my parents were not, they, they were not about that life. Uh -huh. So... You know, so I decided to go into engineering, and again, right, for all the wrong reasons. Um, I did it. I never had a passion for it. 
Um, well, how long were you in it before you realized, look, this passion's starting to really dwindle? Oh, honestly, I knew, I knew. When you jumped first, in the beginning? Okay. I'd say probably within the first year or so. Okay. Um, but it was, it was also, this is also where I think um, as immigrant, as, as a child of an immigrant, maybe I didn't have the network, right? I didn't know, I didn't other have people. the opportunities to understand there's many other things you could do. With it, right. Or just in general, okay. right? Um, because, you know, most of my family were um, hospital workers, healthcare workers. Um, you know, we had some engineers, we mm. had some lawyers. Mm -hmm. We didn't have, let's say, a salesperson, mm -hmm. right, that worked a med device. Or we didn't have um, a PhD uh, teacher that was a university professor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, or we didn't have an entrepreneur, somebody who started their own business. We didn't necessarily have those those examples. You weren't exposed to that, right? So for me, it was, I said, all right, well, I got to write this out. So I went through, got my degree, started working for about... What'd you get? What'd you get? I, I went back to Canada to get it. So to get, what'd you, what'd you come out with? So a uh, Bachelor's of Science in Electrical Engineering. Okay. So I finished there and I specialized, I actually specialized in, um, in software development. Okay. Um, and I came out, you know, I was like, all right, let me try this, this job, got a job with a startup, which is another, I'll get to that in a second. But the, the fact that I picked engineering wasn't necessarily the best decision. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a bad decision, but it wasn't the decision I probably should have made at the time. Mm -hmm. But where I did really kind of listen to myself is I came out of school and I had two offers. I could have gone to Ericsson, which is a global telco. Everybody knows Ericsson. They make, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, they mm -hmm. used to make cell phones, but now right. they make all kinds of devices mm -hmm. and equipment for tel for tel uh, telecommunication mm -hmm. um, networks. Or I went to the small startup, and um, the startup was this. It worked. They they were basically tied to the aerospace sector. Mm -hmm. um, building all kinds of software for aerospace mm -hmm. uh, firms and defense and military and commercial aircraft uh, companies and whatnot. And basically I said, ah, you know what? My mom was like, you gotta take this job. It's a big company, you're gonna get a pension. Mm -hmm. And I said, For I said, nah, you know what? Now is now's the time. So I went for the small firm and it was the best decision I made, right? Completely changed um, in hindsight, right? Mm -hmm. You can always connect the dots looking looking backwards. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, it changed the trajectory of what Where I you do are today, and my right. mindset. And reason the reason I'm sitting in Japan today, mm -hmm. right? So and then how did they do? How did they do it? What were the big things that made it? Because you don't really know what it would have been like being at Ericsson. No, you no. don't know because you didn't go there. But with this startup, what did they do that you feel really projected you to where you are now? So it was a few things. Number one, um, it's just accountability. And I see it now that I work for a larger firm. When you're working for a small firm, and you know this, you've been an, mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, you gotta do everything. You gotta snap the envelopes. Yeah, yeah, there's, no, yeah there's no title, you, you're just everybody. You gotta sweep the floors. Right, right, you're everything. You gotta, you gotta change the tone on the printer, right. right? And you gotta sell, and you gotta do the client meetings. Everything is your responsibility, right? So you have to own every aspect of that business. Mm -hmm. And that was a beautiful thing. Right? You knew it in and out. As a new grad, yeah, they could, and the big company, they could start you off slow and say, hey, we're mm -hmm. gonna make you do these small little tasks. Um, 
and that's fine, right? But as a new grad, I was in the thick of it with from the beginning, the president of the company, and there wasn't that many people. There was probably about fifteen of us, so we all had to do everything, right? And all hands on deck. So I, within the first month or so, was going on sales calls with the the VP of sales, and you know I had to I had to step up. I didn't know what I didn't know what to do, but I had to figure it out. And the reason why that's important is it taught me. I I shouldn't say it taught me. It made me realize the importance of adaptability. Okay. I think I had it from an early age because of the fact that I was in a diverse environment. You had to adapt to different people. We moved, right? Mm-hmm. So I was in I was in Canada. I was in the U.S. I was in a Haitian context. So in a way. I learned how to context switch and change and adapt to the audience. But then in that environment, you had to learn to be adaptable. Whatever whatever you need to do today is what you need to do. Whether you want to do it or, or whether not. you know how to right. do it, you got to figure it out. Right. And you got to deliver. And I think that was the beautiful thing. It made me realize that thing that you have is critical. Mm-hmm. Use that. Put yourself in positions where you can use that, and I've been lucky, lucky enough over time to to be in good positions, and it's worked out. Wow. Okay. So after that, so then you left that company. Tell me about the MBA. When did you decide to do that? Yeah. So it was quite simple. Um, you know, graduated. Did the, start, did the startup do well? As a matter of fact, by any no, time? it died. It died. How long? Uh, while you were there? Oh, hundred percent. What do you mean? I, I, what, you caused it? <laughs> you well, helped, you, you know, you, depending you, on who you ask, <laughs> I, I think I was just a mere employee. <laughs> you, I, but I, it went, I, the ship sank <laughs> while you were on it. Oh, okay. And I was, I, I sank with the ship. How I many was, How many years were you there before? Was it years or was it months? It was two years. It was a little bit like under two years. When did you know it was, it was that iceberg had torn a big hole in it? Year one, we were solid. Um, year two, about you know, three months into year two, um, yeah. It wasn't it was, because of something all of you were doing, or was it just because of the, the the area that you went into? It was a number of things. Okay, yeah, okay. At the time, it was. The, the, early what I'm 2000s. saying, what I'm, what I'm alluding to, it wasn't because of embezzlement or anything like that. Oh no, no, not. That's none, what I'm saying. None, none, everybody was doing their best. No, everybody. Was so it was just the situations at the time. Okay, I got and, you. you. Know, it was just business and that's failure. why you guys could leave. Okay, got you. Yeah, business failure, business right, failure. Okay. Right? Right. Um, so from that perspective, it just it, it went under. It went under almost two years after I joined. Okay. Um, and I was I was one of the last employees. There was three of us left at the time. There was the owner, there was the controller, and there was me. Mm. And the controller was his fiance. Right? <laughs> so. The three of us went down, and, and um, but I'll say this: it was a great experience because from there, the owner moved to another firm. He brought me with him. I got that the experience at another firm. It was another startup. That startup also failed. Right? After how many years? After so I left before it went under, but okay. it probably failed about. Four years so after that. So it had four I, years, yeah. So no, it has sorry, some... three and a half to four years. Okay. I was there two years. Okay. So that went under. I moved to another startup, right? Or, or it wasn't startup, it was a small business. Um, but there's a few things that happened. Number one, it made me, uh, it normalized failure in a sense. Right. You know? It didn't make it so, 
so dreadful. It didn't, it didn't put fear in your heart anymore. You realize you still, you can take a breath the next day. You're going to wake up. You'll still have your arms, your legs. You didn't die. Your teeth still work. You know, you didn't go blind. And I'll tell you, <laughs> those are two lessons, right? Adaptability and failure. Because right. those got reinforced over time. Right, right. Um, so I normalized failure. I was like, you know what? It's not so bad. It failed. I wasn't homeless. I managed, got another job, moved on. Good. Um, but what it also helped me realize is you really have to take active ownership of your career and what you want to do. Nobody's going to do it for you. And the reason why I say that is I got lucky. The first job, the, um, the president brought me to the next job. Okay. Lucky in the sense that, you know, I was able to, well, lucky made me the wrong word. I delivered, I did good work. I was, he liked working with me. It worked out. So I got into an environment where I was able to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. And that was that was maybe the, the luck part. Right, okay. So that was that was great. But it also made me realize, man, you don't know how long you're gonna be around this place. So you need to always think about what's my next step? Not so just what my next move is, but what's the move after that one? You need a plan right? B. And always be thinking ahead, where am I trying to go? How do I keep yeah. myself re relevant in this game? Because there's always somebody else coming up, right? And you will be replaced. So you need to ensure that you are looking out for yourself and you are truly developing your craft in a way that allows you to be successful over time. And it doesn't mean you're screwing people over in the I process, just saying, right? But you're only taking jobs, you're only doing things that will benefit you in the long run. And ultimately, it will benefit the, the person The people you're dealing with, yeah. You're yeah. But, you're, but you're, you're, being more, you're just not doing everything anymore. And hoping that something happens. You're not throwing it up in the air and saying, maybe something's going to land right. You're saying, no, I'm going to focus on this one. Because I know it can turn, yes, I know if it turns so many times, it's got to land this way. you got to be purposeful. I'm going to focus on it right. Focus on it. Know who you are, what mm -hmm, you can mm -hmm, bring to the mm -hmm. table. Zero in and go after it. Do you think that's why the, the first the first couple of companies went under? Because people were just, you were trying too many things and not honing your focus more or was it because the market was shifting too quick there's a few things i think the first company actually the market wasn't ready okay uh, you guys were ahead of your time okay a little bit ahead and frankly it was right after the tech bubble so investors weren't going to take any more chances pulled out okay right? that's why the first year we were, we were good second year the investors were like no nope, not we, we don't, not we're not giving any money to anybody anymore <laughs> right so that was tough uh the second company I think it was a mix of things. I think, um, and they went under when I was in there, so it's a little harder okay. for me to but could tell. You, did you leave because you could see the signs? It was a little bit of a mix. It was, personally, I wanted to move on to something else. Okay. Um, and actually, it was also a good jumping off point, right? Um, because I wanted to move on to something else, and I could see the writing on the wall, right? Um, you mean with that company that it wasn't going to... The second company. Okay. The second startup. Because I looked at what we were doing and I was like, they're not going to need me much longer. Gotcha. Oh, you mean like, that right in the wall? That you're, yeah, that you, you were working yourself out of a job. Yeah, because gotcha. they don't need me much longer. And if you, for those of you, uh, for, for folks that are engineer, engineers, at least software engineers, that are, like the area that I worked, you know, you start as a junior engineer, then you move to a mid-level engineer, a senior engineer, then you might be the, the lead engineer. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, all of us were coding, right? We're all writing software next okay. to each other. 
Right. It's just that one guy is doing the architecture, but he's still writing. Right. And I thought to myself, I said, he's 15 years in. He's still doing the same thing. It's like, I can't. I can't be at the, I don't want to be at the back of the bus for, the, for this law. I want to be the guy, like, calling Getting, shots, right. trying to make decisions. You know, driving the business, mm-hmm. the, the strategic Absolutely. direction right. of the business. And in those companies, and I'm not saying that's true for every company that has a huge engineering core, mm-hmm. but at least in the companies I worked with, that wasn't necessarily the case. That wasn't true. So that's what started to get me thinking about, so how do I shift my profile? How do I shift that whole thing so that I can be making the decisions? Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to ultimately uh, decide to do an MBA. I talked to a bunch of folks. I was trying to figure out, you know, hey, you're doing an interesting uh, job. Like, okay, help okay. me understand you got, how you got there. Well, here's what I did. Oh, This is what I learned to be able to do that. And, you know, again, it was also part of, um, you know, not being worried about failure. I was like, I'm not worried about quitting engineering. No. Although, my parents were like, what do you mean? <laughs> okay. Like, well, no, no, you're done. You're right. you, you, you got the degree, you're done. Right. I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to go back and lose. No, you're lazy bum. What is that? What is that? job you're talking about what is this mb what this this opportunity you want to grab like, huh? so you know i can see them that's why i laugh because i can just see your parents right now yeah honestly i i i, I honestly really believe that if you ask him today so what is it that what is it that you do and they don't they still don't know they're like you know he's uh he's 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 in japan <laughs> they can't explain it. They can't explain. And he's not asking us for anything, so <laughs> we're good. He's 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 doing all right. He's good. Right, yeah. He's in Japan. He's in Japan. There you go. That's now it. you told me that. Let's go on to other things. You've been in several different countries as a result of what you do. Yeah. How many countries have you been in? Not talking about your parents' movie too. You've been in. Um, so in got. terms of living, uh, mm-hmm. work, life, or study. Right? Okay. Yes. Um, it was Canada, the U.S., uh, South America, and Colombia. Um, Did you learn to speak France. the language in South America when you went there? Did well, you? Spanish is not too far from French. It isn't. So yeah. um, I'm not going to pretend like I can. I, I can understand. Okay. But you can understand a lot of it. Okay. But I can. I, I can at least get the context. Uh, okay. So um, then France, Switzerland, uh, China, and Japan. Okay. So, and for different companies, mostly. Um, I was a consultant for a long time, so I moved around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also very, again, right, um, you know, just fantastic experience. I think I worked with great people that took the time to kind of also work with me, coach me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, I say lucky, but you make your luck as well, right? That's um, true, yeah. But uh, I was fortunate to meet the right people, um, and that, that gave me opportunities because at the mm-hmm. time, I was young. I was like, "Hey, if you need me to go somewhere, just tell me right now. Tell I'm me, tell me Thursday night at, at 10 p.m. Friday morning at six. I'm ready I'm to ready. go. I'm ready to go." So, you know, the senior partner was like, "I'm gonna go to China for for a year and a half." I was like, "That." Is that how long you were there? I was there for a little bit over a year and a half. Okay. How long so, have you been in Japan so far? Four. You've been here four years. Almost four years. Wait, I'm coming up to four years in, uh, wait, wait, hold on. in August. How, are we, how long were you here when I met you? You've been here for a couple of years when I met you already. Probably about two years already. 
Yeah, because I remember when we met too. You were with your wife, and mm -hmm. I said, "Yo, brother, I mean, yeah, you've been around." He said, "Yeah," and we started talking. So you, you remember that was in the that was in the um, parking area. Exactly, and you know, at the time when you met me, because um, I actually didn't join TAC until I'd say a year and a half in. Okay. A year or a year and a half in. Did you know about it? I did. You know, it, it was honestly, it was just pure laziness because I had I had a gym in the building. Right. right and, yeah. So you know you do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. And I used the gym mostly, and I didn't really understand kind of the, the social. Kind of, you hadn't. You hadn't been a part of the of a private club before. Okay. So doing that now, you will always do it. Are you? Wait. Did your company pay for this membership? The company did. Do they? T wait. So you have no control over it once you leave. They take it. Yeah. Then when I give, it's when not I yours. Go, I go. Okay. The reason why I was going to say that because if you did pay for it, you know you have over two hundred. Reciprocal clubs around the world, and you can still be a member, and you won't be paying dues. So you know, actually, that's one of the things that sidebar that I'm actually considering. You might, you might do that. You might say, "Look, let me take it or talk to you know, discuss with your company, even though they're going to see this. I may not take this out, but just talk to them and say, "Look, um, you know, I want to take over the membership well, before I'd, I leave. I'd love to do that. And you take it over and pay whatever the extra is, keep it because when you leave, there's no fee." But you can still use a reciprocal. So wherever you are, for at least for two weeks or whatever the rule is, it might be four weeks in a year, something like that. You can use a club, the best clubs wherever you are usually, did a reciprocal with us. And if you're taking a client there, and the field you're in too, because you're dealing with people, you're training them, you're moving groups. One night is all it takes sometimes Absolutely. in a place that they dream they can get to someday. I will say this as well. Um, you know, most likely I'll continue to move, right? There'll be more stops on the on the uh, on the itinerary. Right. So having something like TAC, yes. not that this is a commercial for TAC at all. Uh, right. for the I'll United. take some of this out. I think I might. But yeah. but having having something like TAC, mm -hmm. you know fantastic. now. Now you know. Fantastic. We wouldn't never met. See, that's something I like yeah. about it. That's what I'm saying. We probably because the circles are just different. So everyone in the same place, same time. That's why social clubs. And maybe I will leave this in. Social clubs, if you have access to them, are a godsend. But when you go there, you must be sociable. Don't go there and get in your own little world. It's a waste of time and effort. Go there and start saying, hello, how you doing? It's like being in church. And you go in there and you just do your own pray, prayer and never say anything to anybody else, not even the priest. What, what good are you going to get from it? Go in there and start speaking to every single body you see. That's what it's for. And brother, you know, sometimes it's just going to be an interesting conversation. And if that's the never, worst it is, that's the whole Because everybody's doing something, and you never know where you're going to end up. And I, listen, I, I honestly, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize that the first year. I was, you know, I was busy. Wasted I was time, just yeah. coming in. I was trying to make sure I was delivering at work. I had stuff here. So I was like, I don't really need to go to another gym. I'm, I'm good. But once I started going there, and I met some great what? people. Yes. Right? Not just great people from a business perspective, but just great people from a human standpoint. And um, can't say enough about it. Changes so, everything. It changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Changes the experience. That's neat. Changes so the, the company, what's the name of the company you're working for now? Can you say their name? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Organon now. Organon, which Organon does what? is um, a pharmaceutical company. Right. Uh, primarily focused around women's health. Um, okay. We are, well, we're, we're a new old company or an old new company. 
So um, you bought so the company bought some other company. So what? Well, more or less. So we were part of Merck. So Organon well, was a so standard, Merck. So I got you right. Company. Okay, yeah. Merck came, or actually Sharon Plow came in and bought Organon. Right. Shortly after Sharon Plow got bought by Merck. Right. Merck decided to spin off part of their business, and the company they spun it off. Uh, the name they they used uh, was Organon. So we we were we were there. We disappeared for a minute. And you're back again. And now we're back. With a new so, name. Yeah, so I was with Merck before. I was with uh, Merck for an MSD for a number of years. Okay, okay. And then I joined uh, Organon just recently. They now, in layman to... terms, I know a little bit about what you do, but what do you do? I have a company, and I want Cedric to work with me and to help me. How are you going to help my company? What do you do? You're an engineer. Yeah. But you're also a people person, and you, you, you help them manage themselves for the future. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, How are you going to help so, my company? You know, I'd say, uh, so first of all, I do nothing related to engineering now. Nothing. Okay. Not even, I don't look at, I, I, I could not even tell you what the engineers in the company do. Okay. Right? Um, so let's be clear. I've, <laughs> okay. I've done full 180 and I've moved On way. purpose? Um, or just, it just started yeah, to morph into that? It, it morphed, but it was, it was also... It, it was also very much planned, but you know, I think I've I've really gone way, way far away from engineering. Um, but no, so what I'll tell you is, you know, I'm I'm really a strategist. Um, so, at heart, I'm a transformation strategist, uh, and frankly, more of a commercial person than anything else. So, sales and marketing person. Okay. Um, my background, like I said, starting engineering, I got the MBA. I wanted to work for Procter & Gamble for two years. I was, you know, entry-level brand manager, going through the ropes that everybody at PNG goes through. Uh, and that was, frankly, probably a better MBA than the MBA. Went to consulting, in strategy consulting for a number of years, about eight years. And that's where I just started to travel the world a little bit. Um, and ultimately, that's where I really got, I started to figure out my niche, right? and. My niche was around, and it, it went back to failure, adaptability, and focus on results. I did a tremendous amount of transformation work in consulting, helping our clients kind of figure out how to rethink their business, how to grow their business, how to expand the business. But not just, you know, you can easily do that on a piece of paper and say, hey guys, here's the screen idea, you gotta go and do mm -hmm. it. And, you know, happens a lot in, in consulting where you go and you deliver that right. and then the other person is like yeah that sounds yeah, but great, they don't know how to how implement it yeah how do you implement it so this is why I was in China for a year and a half this is why I was in South America for a year you stay with the client so you're giving classes oh, no, I mean I'm, do you have I'm working I'm working with the clients on a day-to-day -day basis if I'm saying hey Guys, um, we're going to change, and I'll use a simple example. Mm -hmm. We're going to change your whole organizational structure, right? You guys have the way your structure is like this. We're going to change it completely. Here's how we're going to change it too. And here's how we're going to also not just change the structure, but if you want your people to behave differently, you got to change your performance management system, how you reward people, okay. how do you pay people, okay. how do you recognize got people, you. how do you right, right. hire people. You got to change all that. Because if you don't, if you just take change boxes on the, on a piece of paper, people are going to do whatever they were doing before. So, walking them through what is that? What changes do we need to make? Mm -hmm. Not just what, but how. How to do it. And then working with them on how. 
And that's when you start to really be embedded with the client and say, mm-hmm. hey, all right, I'm going to get you not just the plan, but I'm going to get you to the outcome mm-hmm. so that I said this was the plan and you're going to get this outcome plus 5% in this, minus 5% on this. 18 months later, you're doing psychological. Wait, wait, just so what you're doing, Cedric, is you're a psychologist. See, you're, wait, hold on. What it sounds like to me is this. That's what motivational speakers tend to do. But you're doing it on a more micro level where you sit down with the guy. Okay, I'm doing you. I'm going to be you right now. So I come in there and say, Cedric, this is how you're going to have to reward your people. But your personality doesn't match the reward you're trying to give. You see, now I'm just saying, you're t- it's a yeah. whole different thing. You have to do that. If you're sitting down there and doing what you're saying, if that's, am, I, am I correct in the way I'm looking at it? So there's two parts to it. And part of it, what you're saying is a huge part of the work. Yeah, because not it's, everybody's matched for the stuff you're trying to get them to accomplish. It's, it is 99%. Well, I'm exaggerating. But okay. You, 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 but a lot you, of that's... The majority of transformation is not, you know, org charts, processes, technology... People. It's the person. It's human behavior. <laughs> so I'm saying, I can see, see I know, and you're sitting up there with that guy, but they make it, it sounds complicated, but it isn't. You're looking at that person saying, all right, clothes don't work, haircut. This, you have to do that if they're going to get the results. Now, you have to come this way, eye contact. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and be a man that keeps their word. You don't keep on saying it over and over again. I'll tell you, you the, isn't that interesting? A hundred percent. I'll tell you the, the some of the, the, the <laughs> latest do this. Oh, and it's it's fascinating. Oh. It's fascinating because one of the one of the things that I've that I was doing with with Merck was going through a whole pro, a tra- process of transforming in Japan. Right? Well, do you have to go to someone above them and say, "Look, this guy has to." Um, that so has to happen sometimes because it depends on the rule. But this, sometimes you do need to have those. He won't make it in that square. He just won't fit. Oh, that, that happens all the time. By the way, whenever you transform business, this is not going to cause someone fat. You know, people will leave, and that is the hardest part because, you know, Lance, you and Lance, let's say you and I have been working together for twenty years. You're my boss, right? Right. right. We transform, and you say, "Hey, Cedric's a star performer. He's he's my ace, right?" But in a new environment, I may not fit. Right, you can't do what you would do. Yes, it's a whole uh, different thing you need to do. It's a different way of working. It's a different way of right. thinking. Doing things. Exactly. Right. You may be trying to drive different behaviors that than I'm comfortable with. And I don't fit. So you need to be able to say, this is not the right environment for Cedric. And by the way, it doesn't mean Cedric is no longer as, he, as good as he was. It just means he doesn't fit that environment. Right, right. And there's another place somewhere that he else may where fit. he will fit. Yeah, but it's not here. But it's just not here. And it's the same for <laughs> the other way around, right? Yeah, as an individual, That's you true. have to be like, hey, is this company, does, does this company fit me? Well, see, the thing is, Cedric, as people say that, people only like change when they're the ones making it. Yeah. If they're not the ones making the change, it goes, it's a hard pill to swallow. But if they're making the change, it's okay. <laughs> so if you're the guy that's the change maker, you're always happy. Because <laughs> you're coming say, look, this is the direction. Because I decide the direction that you guys need to go in to get these results. That's it. You do that. Wow. Absolutely. So it's been... China had to be interesting for you then. Because I bet you that was... <laughs> what? Actually, um... Yeah, they you, all were. They oh, all were. 
I can but, imagine that had to be really hard. Because I did business in China with my oh, medical equipment. My last business was in China. And let me tell you what. For me, it was beautiful. You know why? Tell me. My last name. Oh. And they never knew I wasn't Chinese until they met me. And once they met me, they would light up and be so happy they were dealing with another Chinese person. So whatever I said went. Because they just thought I was haggling and it was going to be this way and I was going to dictate this mood and this one. So everything went smooth and they were willing to give me more than I could even ask for because money was not the issue. Yeah. And they were so happy. I was, And that's the first time in this, they were happy I was not Chinese. <laughs> but my last name had me in there. I got in because of the last name. China was definitely, um, uh -huh. you know, I will say, I mean, no, I shouldn't say it was my biggest professional learning experience, but because um, all of them were very different. But it was just the pace, the pace of those 18 months. Man, whoo, I came out. With no gray hairs. I came in with no gray hairs. But and came out gray hairs, yeah. Whoo, just from trying to think it over. Because they come at you quick and hard. It was and they got it. It was a lot of work. It was... So, it's very different, right? So, again, mm. just having the benefit of work, having worked in different environments. By the way, they're all the same. Right? Oh, yeah. Japan, it doesn't matter. Columbia, yeah. It's just how they approach it, right? You know, at the end of the day, human behavior is human behavior. Thank and you. And all you need to know is that in certain places, they will focus on certain things more than others, right? Um, in other places, you know, like China, hierarchy is very important. In Japan, hierarchy is important. It's most definitely well. it is. It is. It's more in subtle. Latin America, it's relationship. You are not going to talk to me about like a business deal until we sat down and we shared a meal. I need to know who you are, right? Then we're going to chill. We're going to have a few beers. And then tomorrow, we can talk. Talk about it, right. In Japan, relationships are important, but it's yeah, very different. It's completely different. Right? Yeah. The work relationship, you and I in the office, buttoned up. When we go for Nomikai afterwards, it's a different story. That's right. But they want to know that you're going to go to Nomikai right. and hang out with you me. You hang out, yeah. Right? It's not just only business. So right. China wasn't like that. But, you know, it's different. Swiss, Switzerland, there was no Nomikai. Like, you're not, you're not going out for drinks. We are going to interact in the office between the hours of 8.30 and 5. At 5.01, I'm out. You do what you do, I do what I do. The two shall never meet. <laughs> but you see bits and pieces of, of different places everywhere. The reason I'm, t I'm telling you this, when I got to t China, what became very obvious is, which is a little bit like Japan, but different. You say something, it happens. Like, government says we're doing this boom they're doing it no questions asked it just goes it is the system it's how it's designed get it you can you can agree or disagree with their system that's fine but that's how it works and it is people are going to be looking at you and saying okay what do i need to do right they are looking for you and this actually happened to me a client of mine right i'm a consultant came up to me and said, okay, so what do I do? I'm like, well, hold on. I can't make that decision for you. I can tell you the different options and what you might want to consider. But you're you're the person accountable, right? You can't come to me and just say, hey, what do I do? Because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the one who's getting fired. Right, 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 right. right. Um, 
so that was very interesting. But the pace in China is rapid fire, lightning speed. Yes. What I found in Japan, right? When I got here, everybody was was telling me, "Hey, listen, Japan has moved slow. You know, it's it takes time for change to happen." And I think that's true, right? It the Japanese are very methodical about their change. It's not that they don't want to change, but they are very methodical, right? And they will make sure that they turn over every stone before they make that change. But once Japan says we're going, it's done. It's it's Light zero is, one. It's binary. Right. And it, it continues. The floodgates open, and you are you, you either get out and you get the fuck out of the way, or you get run over. That's run right. Over, right. Because they mean doesn't show. Because it's happening. And that in the, in that portion, it is very much like China, because when Japan says go, it goes. And China is it. So this is what what's in, what's a bit interesting, at least when I look back, is you start to see the points of parity, right, across the different mm-hmm. cultures and environments, and you find that there's a lot more to, more points of parity than points of difference. That's right. That's if you come in with an open mind at the beginning and you don't have your preset thoughts. You want to find out really what's it like, and then you find out it is not an ethical issue ethnic has nothing to do with ethnicity anything it's a human issue just how are they going to implement it exactly and you've got to do it their way you've got to understand that what they consider their way right because as a foreigner right you're going to come in and you always have the guy that comes in from head office and say hey you got thou shall do this and ooh, i mean in japan that is that's the fastest way to get a that's right hi 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 and that high means a lot. Yeah, but it doesn't mean, mean yes. It, it doesn't, doesn't mean, mean it means it just means I hear, mean I, hear I hear you. I hear you. That's all it's saying. I hear you. I hear you. And then, <laughs> that's, and then that's they all go it back means. and they're like, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not gonna happen. We're not doing no, this. No, we're not doing that. We mm-hmm. don't know this guy from Adam, no. Exactly. He's talking and he wants us to put it on the fourth floor or the ninth. She or Q? No, he doesn't understand. He, he he's from America. Does he do it on the thirteenth floor? Now he's he, we're not gonna do it. Exactly. Until he understands, not gonna do it. You know, and you will get that, that <laughs> quiet resistance. That's right. Just, hey, and they'll be so pleasant. Smile. Hey, with the smile. With the smile. Hey, what can Yeah. Then they'll go do whatever they have to do, but it's not gonna be what you ask. No. And then you come back three weeks later and be like, Hey, is that done? Um, what? 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 what do you no, mean? No. Oh, you. Oh, okay. No, you have to explain it again. You want to hear another height? Tell me to do it again. <laughs> Tell me, so what do you see in the future? What do you see in your, for your future? Uh, for me personally, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I've got, I'm at an interesting point in my career. Uh, I will be at some point in the near future relocating outside of um, Japan. Unfortunately, I've loved Japan and I would stay here much, much longer if I could. Um, but, you know, duty calls. So... I'll be taking another role. I'll be um, going outside Japan. But I think ultimately, I, I would love to um, do two things. I think I've got a lot of runway left on the business side. So it's continue that career progression. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, being at the leadership, uh, at the head of some some company, uh, you know, love to be in a Fortune 500 uh, lead role somewhere. Be a CEO. At least a C suite. You'll be there. Know, You'll be there, man. You'll you be there. there. You're in the C building right now. This is a C building. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> hey, you're already, you're already in the C building on the 41st floor, man. Uh, so you're closer than you even uh, know. 
Well, you, you know what? I'll call you when it happens. You please do. Um, you got to stay in contact. You got to stay. Because the world's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. After we finish this, I'll tell you a few things that show you how small it's gotten. Oh, but please yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be the next step. Um, but frankly, two things. Um, I think I, I want to start to also give back. That's one of the things that I've been very uh, mindful of for this year. Mm -hmm. um, every start of the year, I do uh, start my, write my objectives and my goals for the year, and I do quarterly tracking. You've been doing that for how long? How long have you been doing this? Probably at least 10, 10 15 years. Really? Yeah. Religiously? Every start of the year, I write the goals down. And it's not just like, let's say, you know, people say, I'll give an example. I want to lose weight. All right, okay, well, right. Okay. But how much? So how much? That's right. By, so and by when? By when? And okay, let's break <laughs> that down further. So that means you're going to have X amount of lean mass, fat mass. That's what um, I'm talking about. You know, like, okay. like, let's talk yeah, yeah, yeah. about the specific yeah, metrics. Right. That so we're so it becomes have. really real. Right. And, and it's not just a pie in the sky. And then what you got to do is, you know, every month, be like, oh, how far am I tracking? And I actually do it day to day. So, because what I try to do is, you break those big goals into daily habits and rituals. That's right. That becomes your And life. then, if, for example, one of the big things for me was, um, this year, kind of self-awareness, reflection, development. So I said, all right, every morning, I got to take 20 minutes and just do self-reflection and a little bit of meditation, right? I don't have to do a, a full two hours. Or, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, a meditation guru, <laughs> but take that 20 minutes. And my goal is it's got to happen at least six times a week, right? So every morning, I take the iPad, I finish it. I go to my OneNote, check, check. Check. So at the end of the week, I'm looking. I got my six days out of seven. All right, cool. Next. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about setting goals. Is yes, you need the big objective, but, but you then you've got to break it down into daily. To make it easy. And it makes habits. it easy, right. Because then you can follow those. That's right. And they're not that difficult. Right. Because right. they're small enough that that's you can right. make it happen. Right. And the next thing you know, when you check at the end of the quarter, you're like, oh man, I made progress towards right. it. Because I, I did all these little things, but every day Look I'm getting closer. Isn't that something? So. And it goes by quick. The only you get by... by I mean, I'm, you're just preaching to the choir because that's something I do, and I've been doing it for years. That's why I asked you that. But I find that among the people I talk to that are successful, like yourself, they have to. There's no other way to do it. It's not rocket science. We make it difficult for ourselves because we have that goal, and it's so big, but the little habit, the, like the Chinese have a beautiful saying, and I know you know it. The longest journey starts with one step. One single step. That's Absolutely. all you have to do. You don't have to do 100 push-ups. Do one to start off with. And do it again. And make it like you do your breath, which whatever made is made it so that that's automatic, like your heart beating. 100%. But make this stuff something that you live by, because you're... I always like to say it's all on loan. And you know, <laughs> you and you know what? Here's the thing. You get the endorphins from doing it, that little thing. Don't you? Give you the energy to do the big, the, the, the thing that's a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger. And, you know, for me, that is, I played sports for a long time. What sport? I was a basketball player. Basketball yeah. and soccer. 
Really? Yeah, I'm short though. Okay, That's but you can kick it. It doesn't say anything. It's, just, it's harder for them to get really. to you. Yeah, yeah. But you can get somebody. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you this, right? I'll tell you this. Real talk. I have no business making any of those teams. The only reason I made those teams is I worked harder. I work. I I, I was always consistent, and I had an attitude, and I wasn't gonna quit. Right, but if you looked at pure raw talent and skill, yeah, it wasn't there. That would win much better, yeah. and that also taught me, like, listen, it's not about that there's talent. There's no, there's no hurdle you can't, you can't, you can't climb, you can't get over. Yeah, you may not do it the same time, but and even then, like, I still, and those were important lessons because the more I applied myself, the better I got, and I said. Listen, if I can apply myself consistently and be better every time, there's no, there's no cap, right? I just gotta be able, willing to do that all the time, and I'll be, I'll be solid. You'll be good. And again, I think that that attitude and that resiliency and that consistency in the business context that has helped me a lot because, you know, there's there's no, I don't, I'm not worried about failing. Um, you know, I one of my I, I've gotten kicked out of when I was a consultant, kicked out of CEOs' offices. And I was like, oh, I, yeah, you know, hey, it's okay. It's not a big deal. He didn't like what I had to say. That's right. It's okay. Next time he might. That's this right. time he didn't. Yeah. It's not. It's not the end. But of it the taught you about you. See, it taught it you about did. you, and it gives you humility and stuff. That's one reason why I think I love working with children. I don't think I know why I do because they don't know. Which they could care less how many stars you got on your shoulder, or how big your crown is, or, 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 or all the things you've done, or that you can leap tall buildings with a single bound and, and bullets bounce off your head. They want to know what you've done with them. I always tell people that children spell love, T-I-M-E. Are you giving me any of that? You give me some of that, and you must love me then. Yes. But if you're not giving me time, you can talk and do all those things. It means nothing. So I love working with them even today. I still do it Absolutely. because I know they, they don't know anything about me. They want to know what am I giving them that has any value. And you hone your skill. So like you said, and I look at those CEOs that throw us out of offices or, or that have an attitude as a child. I see the kid in them. Mm. I see that kid in them. I see this mm. kid. He thinks that he really thinks he's throwing me out of the office. No, I decided to leave because I could do things that could make him feel, you know. But I'm not. I look at the kid in him because it hasn't changed. He, for whatever reason, got to be in that because he would never do that if he'd learned humility. And you know, he I would love, know that's not something you do to a person. I love when you talk about humility because that's, that's right. People forget, right? People. And this has been, I'll be the first to, to admit, I learned that lesson the hard way. You know, you, you come up, sometimes you come up quick, start feeling yourself, like, oh, I got this, man. Yeah, I'm the man, I'm the man. Killing it, killing it. <laughs> and uh, you start to realize, you know, you, you put your ego above the people. And that will always come back to bite. Always. Most definitely. And I learned that lesson and I said, you know what? I'm not going to worry about me. I'm going to worry about them. You have to. If I worry about them and they're doing well, I'll be good. 
And the most important thing you can do is walk into the room. And if somebody walks into the room, and it's you and your whole team or whoever you're with, and they don't know who's in charge. Because that tells me that you've done a good enough job of creating an environment where everybody is leading, not just you. If you're the only one driving the boat, the day you take a day off, it's going to go off course. That's right. If everybody's driving that boat, we're good. You could disappear. You're good. And in a way, it's people will feel nervous about that the fact that, well, if you disappear, where's your job? Don't, don't worry about it. If you're that good, everybody's going to come looking for you because they want that problem. They want a, a, an environment where you create a group of individuals that is able and capable of carrying the load almost without you. And frankly, your teams will look up to you and be like, man, I really appreciate you giving me these opportunities. I really appreciate you enabling me to do that stuff because nobody else would let me do it. And that's one thing that I've loved about Japan because I've tried really hard not to um, to kind of dispel this hierarchy and it works for me because obviously I'm a foreigner. So I, there's certain things I can get away with that a Japanese uh, leader maybe may not get away with. Um, but what I've loved now that I'm kind of at towards the end of it is hearing a lot of my teams go, nobody actually approached me that way. Nobody gave me the opportunity to tell them what they what I thought. Or, you know, when I didn't do something well, you, you never came down on me. You were like, all right, that didn't work. What happened? What are we going to do about it? All right, next. Let's keep going. All right? You're like, that never happened. I was like, that's exactly the point. What you're describing to me, Cedric, is this, and I'm sure you're aware of it, at least I really hope so. You are another form of Branson, Virgin Atlantic. Is it Branson? Branson? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what he does. That's why he is the first civilian to go outer space on a plane that, that's what you're doing. Most of us, people love to call me an entrepreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm a small business owner. Because if I disappear, guess what happens? Mm. It's gone. And an entrepreneur doesn't do that. He does what you're doing. You're just doing it for other companies. And by the way, I, I, have, a few, <laughs> I, I have a few less billions than uh, Branson, but you know. Is, and, but that's, and that's just a matter of perception too. That's a matter of perception in which you're willing to start to, to perceive. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. It's a matter of perception. Wealth is also because perception. I mean, that's, most, that's more than anything else. Because right. in everything we get comes through other people. The more people that you've influenced, he's learned to do it well because the English learned to do it well, the Romans learned to do it well. You have, you're doing that already. And many people of color have done it well and we're just not saying much about it. And you know, you raise a good point. And everybody's different, right? Everybody's got their own definition of success. So... You, you pick what works for you. But for me, what I love is, I can go back. I was in China in 2013. And even to this day, a good number of my team still will reach out. Like, hey, how you doing? See what I'm talking about? I have not set foot in China since 2015. 2016 is the last time I was in Shanghai and had the opportunity to see these people face to face. We're talking about almost six years now. Right, but they still reach out. 
And I, to me, every time they reach out, I was like, all right, I did a good job there. That's not true. Because then you know you've left, you've influenced somebody's future, you helped them kind of figure something out that they didn't know, or you helped them grow. And ultimately, that's probably the biggest testament of success, at least in my book. That's right. It's what mark do you leave on others? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when you were asking me what next, um, yeah, there's a corporate component that I want to continue to, to drive the, the up on, but uh, I think there has to be a component around how do you give back uh, in a more meaningful way mm-hmm. to the community. Mm-hmm. Like, and we all do this, right? We have, we see junior folks, we, we, we mentor them, we coach them, we take parts in, in different associations. But I think that's going to be the next uh, the b- next big problem for me. Mm. The big problem statement is mm-hmm. how do I make a, a, a significant impact somewhere else? You will. So There's no doubt about it. We're going to talk a little bit more after this too, but I want to thank you for the time Absolutely, you've given me brother. today, man. This has been fantastic. And when you pass through Tokyo again, man, oh, make sure you come. Go, make go sure before. we get together. I might be back. I mean, you will be back. I, I might be Listen, back. Listen, once you find paradise, why would you not want to come back to it? I'm telling you, man, this is it. Hey, listen, I will say this for whoever is listening. I came to Tokyo the first time, for the first time in 2008. I still remember. I was leaving, short story, I was leaving Procter & Gamble. I was going to Accenture to be in that strategy practice. I had four weeks off. Called my cousin. Maybe a week before, I said, yo, I got to do something with the sports four weeks. I got to go somewhere. And he said, yeah, I got mad vacation too. As a, let's roll. So one of my boys at the time was doing a contract, caught some contract work in Yokohama for Ericsson. I said, he said, Yo, why don't you just come out here? I said, do I need a visa? He said, no. Nah. So I had that conversation on Friday. On Friday, on, no, on Thursday night. Booked the flight on Friday morning, flew out on Sunday morning, landed in Narita. Mm-hmm. Did not know anything about Japan, didn't even have, back then you didn't have Google Translate, mm-hmm. um, Japanese to English dictionary, nothing, nothing, right? We had a backpack, we had a three-week itinerary, three-and-a-half-week itinerary, we we're going to travel through Japan on, go from here all the way down to... Um, uh, Nagasaki okay. so we were just on the Shinkansen and I re- I still remember that first time I was like man this was a great experience but I'll probably never be back here <laughs> and you never know where life is going to take you sure. now, now I'm 13 years later and I can honestly say that this has been my best foreign assignment that's what I'm talking period. about that's best place I've lived again right personally my everybody's got different experiences everybody comes into japan differently um you know we don't all have the same circumstances and same support i was lucky i had good people around me had a lot of people that helped me kind of fit into japan when i came in so from that perspective i'm very thankful but at least for me it was fantastic and i would i would do it over and over and over and over again if i had to i'm glad you with that i want to thank you all of you watching remember to press like subscribe Remember, you're too blessed to be stressed. Keep reaching for the stars, and it's all on loan.